0: We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. In my deepest, darkest times of my life, Jesus loved me. Before I ever knew Him, He loved me. Before I ever had a relationship with Him, He loved me. Oh, there's nothing like my Jesus. Hallelujah. The writer said, Oh, come magnify the Lord with me if He's my God, He's my Alpha. If He's my God, He's my Omega. If He's my God, He's my First. He's my Last. He's my God, He's my God that was and is and is to come. If He's my God, He is my King. He is the King of Kings. If He's my God, He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Lord and King of my life. If He's my God, oh, come magnify the Lord, hallelujah. Come magnify the Lord with me. Come magnify the Lord with me, hallelujah. Bless His name this morning hallelujah God bless you this morning please be seated hallelujah don't ever lose an opportunity to magnify him praise God hallelujah thank you Jesus thank you Lord it's good to see everybody this morning being in the house of God it's good to have my brother-in-law John with us today Good to have you John Good to see just you know what <clears throat> as pastor it's good to look across the house and see familiar faces yeah it means at least they at least you still like me a little bit <laughs> just trying to get you to learn to love me Matthew chapter 27. I'm telling you Jason must have something awfully good to say because the Lord keeps buffeting me and buffeting me so, so something's going to happen yeah, I'm not mad at Jason y'all some of y'all I hadn't heard from Jason lately not mad that's my brother I'm not, I'm not mad at him at all. So He's he's got something good to say and the, the Lord just keeps holding so there's going to be a service Jason here nearby yeah it maybe I just have to sit down who knows just Matthew chapter 27 Every year, and it's all year long, it, because it's an intriguing thing, they'll, who, who is time's man of the year? We're going to unveil who time's man of the year is. Then it's now time's person of the year. The next thing it will be, because you can't use uh, proper pronouns anymore, who is that, that one man of the year? Yeah, be careful with that one. And all year long, you will find that there's a reason they use the unveil. Because the unveil means it's intriguing, isn't it? We're going to, for you hot rod expert. we're going to unveil to you the new Corvette. I see Steve smiling. We're (laughs) going to unveil to you the the lady, We're going to unveil to you. And there's just something about something being unveiled that intrigues us. Matthew 27, let's look at verse 50. And 51, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. That word ghost there is pneuma, it's breath, it's spirit. He gave up his life. Verse 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. The earth did quake and the rocks rent. I want to talk to you today about the unveiled God. The unveiled God. As Moses and the children of Israel made their way through the desert, Uh, they were actually led by two physical forces. We know that there was the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. When it was time to take up tent and move, it wasn't Moses who said, let's go. It wasn't Aaron that said, let's go. It was God that said, let's go. Because he would begin to move that cloud or move that pillar, and it was time to pull up tent. You understand there's three, four million people at this time, so it takes a little time to pull up tent and get ready to go, especially if any of those Jewish people had children. You ever tried to round when when there's something big's going on? You ever tried to round your kids up? Because that one kid's running over there, that one's running over there, and because that one's running, that one runs over there. So not only were they trying to pull up their tents, hey Joseph, come, come on, hey Eric, come, come on, they were trying to round up their kids. So you can imagine. And so God was very, very patient with His children. As well, God gave them the law. Not only were they led by the the pillar of fire and the cloud by day. But God gave them a law to maneuver them spiritually as they were going through the desert. Within the instructions of God's law was this blueprint for the thing called the tabernacle. And I'm not going to teach on the tabernacle today, but the tabernacle would be the place of of sacrifice and worship. And it's, it's where the abode of God and His presence were within the nation of Israel. Now, we all know and understand God's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. So so how could, he, how could the, the tabernacle be the abode of God? And so we understand through Scripture is that it wasn't that he was encapsulated or encaptured into that particular area, but it was the representative of God, and it was his presence of God within the nation of Israel, inside the nation of Israel. The tabernacle, specifically the holiest of holies, was that representative place. It, it was the presence within, you know, we always think of God being without in the Old Testament and within in the New Testament. I understand that God's presence and what God did in the lives of people was, was the ever-living, ever-living, ever-wanting, ever-designing, holiest of holies, That important place. The priest of the tabernacle had this sole responsibility, uh, to to minister in this tabernacle. They were of the lineage of Aaron of the tribe of Levi. And so the, the priests of the Aaronic order of the tribe or of the lineage of Aaron performed the duties that were required that were laid out in the law. So within this Aaronic order uh, was the high priest. And so you had all of the priests that were after the, the lineage of Aaron, after the tribe of Levi. And so there was one guy that was a high priest. And this is, you know, this is Christian 101, but let's Bear with me. The, the high priest. And so uh, he, he, he was the one that was chosen to enter into this holiest of holies. Pres- you understand the presence of God just behind this veil, just in this holiest of holies. The, this high priest was the only one, one time a year, that I could actually go into this area and experience the actual presence of God. Man, that's a bummer. Nobody else could do that. He was the one that once a year would offer the blood of the sacrifice and and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat for the atonement of the sins of Israel. What a bummer. Somebody else had to go to God for me, had to offer sacrifice for me the mercy seat that sat on top of the ark of the covenant uh, uh, the ark of the covenant is where Aaron's rod uh the, the tablets that were given to Moses and then the bit of manna the uh, uh, the portion of manna laid inside and so on top what was the uh, the mercy seat and over that fashion on the mercy seat were the, the two angels as you know and they were fashioned not, not by they didn't pour them into a mold they were molded in any certain way they were hand fashioned so the two cherubims that were on top of the ark were, didn't even actually look alike. They, they were, you know, it's God's signification to us that, listen, as, as we're there before God, none of us look alike to God. You understand that you look different to God than I do. He, all, he sees us all through the blood of Jesus, but, but there's a reason he doesn't, and, and, and we'll talk about that. So the, the angels that were there, we all also know that their heads were bowed to the mercy seat where the sacrificial blood was. They weren't looking at one another there's a reason why we're fashioned differently, and that we're not to look at one another. The reason we're not to look at one another is we're fashioned differently. That's the reason. So those those angels that were we, yeah we know they were hand beat gold and they were look they never ever once looked at each other. What if the church ever got to the place where we never ever looked at each other, we only saw the blood of the mercy. Man, yeah, y'all would look at Pastor Don different, wouldn't you? Within the tabernacle... Was, were, were different forms of furniture used for, again, we won't go through that today, but the diff- these different forms of furniture signified different forms of sacrifice and offering to God, and they were very necessary. They were v- very important. And, and at the foot of the door uh, of the tabernacle was this thing called the brazen altar, and it was a place that they offered a sacrifice as sacrifices. They came to into the temple, and the brazen altar is a reflection of repentance in our life. You, you, you can never come to God unless you repent first. You can never come. Jesus kept, lest you repent, you shall likewise perish. That, that throws out uh, Romans chapter 10 for those of us that still, you know, looking at Romans for salvation. That's No, no salvation there. You understand, got to have repentance. That's why that altar was there before they ever, every priest had to have a repentant heart. The high priest had to, re, listen, the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for himself. He didn't dare go into the holies of holies, not having off. And all of us, mama can't repent for you. Daddy can't repent for you. Grandma, we've got to have that repentance in our lives. So uh, the priest would uh, uh, be allowed to walk and perform the duties within the holy place, and they had to make sure the fire was still burning. You know, the fire was never. Man, what if we lived that way as well? As the Holy Ghost filled believers, the Holy Ghost is the fire of God. in. Us. What if we live like, and the fire never went out in us? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we would be in that building program now for the third time, wouldn't we? If the fire was in us, the we would be in our third building program. Now, oh, Pastor Don, now you're talking that stuff again. Absolutely, time to talk about it. It's time to talk about it. We should be in a third building program at this point. See how quiet that got, Bishop. Why is that? Not, Not, it's not about money. It's not about big buildings. It's about housing the people of God as they come and celebrate like we have this morning together and worship God and and word and those things. And so, you know, that's what the fire of the Holy Ghost will do. You can't, you know, what did the prophet say? And he didn't even have the Holy Ghost. It's like fire shut up in my bones. You know, man, what what if you just felt that way? You ever been burned by fire? You ever swallowed it? None of us would be that foolish, would we? But you know what is inside of you? The Holy Ghost is the fire of God that never, ever goes out. I was talking to a friend of mine this, this weekend, and we were talking about the Holy Ghost, and he, talk, he told me the story of his, uh, his, aunt, his, his uh, dad, his, his cousin, uh, that had backslidden away from God. And, and he said, man, they came back. They were, he, was, he was rejoicing about it. And I said, well, you understand something. There's a lot of people that will teach that, uh, you know, if you backslide away from God, then the, you lose the Holy Ghost. It leaves you. There's a lot of people teach that. But understand something. When God puts the fire in you, God never puts the fire out. And even, no matter how much water, because we become our own gods, we become our own Baal when we backslide. And so, you know, you can take 400, 400 dons that backslide and try to put out the fire of the Holy Ghost inside of him, no matter how much water he pours on it, no matter how you know what, fire's still going to burn. That, that's why the prophet was like, hey, you're God's sleep. He took, he took a vacation because he knew that fire... When that fire hit, it didn't matter how much. And understand that. Even when we fall away from God, he doesn't remove his spirit from us. The only time that's going to happen is when you become apostate, and you did that yourself. And apostate simply means not only did you backslide away, there's, there's a little progression. Not only did you backslide away from God, then you just quit listening to God, and the next thing you know, you're fighting against him. You're warring against his word and who he is. So, no, Everybody's looking at me like, oh, my God, i an apostate. You're all safe. You're all safe. But understand that that fire that's in it, they had to keep that fire going, constantly moving. Constantly. And so that was the priest that they were constantly doing that. Uh, the only thing was they were cut off from God. They were cut off from God. There was a four-inch veil that that was it was huge. The thing was 45 feet tall. And later on, when that temple was rebuilt, the, actually it was... It was raised to 60 feet. So this veil is interwoven linens. And can you imagine having a blanket on your bed that's four inches thick? This thing, can you imagine how hard it would be just to push something like that open? And this is the thing that separated even the Aaronic priests from God. The only one that had the opportunity to be in the presence of God, as we know, was that high priest. Some of you are getting ahead of me. Bible scholars, slow down. the veil, The veil itself was a barrier; it was a curtain, if you will, that divided the holiest of holies uh, from the holy place. It's where the Ark of the Covenant set, the presence of God rested, and again, the priests performing their duties outside. Here's the thing: all the priests could perform the duties as they were assigned. But none of them could enter into the presence of God. Man, what if we came to church and we did all this worship and we did all these things and we did all this study and we did all this stuff. But God said, "Mm, you can't go beyond the veil. At some point, you're a human and I am too. We get a little bit restless. At some point, we begin to get a little bit, uh, you know, God, I'm doing all this and why aren't you, why are you separating yourself? The arena of the holiest of holies. I'm I'm going to keep saying this because I I want it to really bite into your thinking today. That arena, that area, that place of the holiest of holies, there was just one sole purpose for that area. One and one only. And that was for the day of atonement. When that high priest, one day out of all the year, would go in and offer that blood and sacrifice to God, that God would move their sins forward. A Priest was adorned in fashion again. When you study this, you're like, man, this guy was on the runway. You know, yeah, you know, I can't do this, but I'll, you know how they walk down the runway and they're doing all the, and everybody's looking. I'll buy that. And he, this guy was on the runway. He was he was decked out and adorned. He was he was looking sharp. He was looking after all. He was going into the presence of God. Now, there's a lot from where we came from that feel like that that's what we're supposed to do. There's a, sp- there's a p- specific adornment that we come, but the adorning that Scripture says with- is within us today. It's not on the outside. Everything that we're talking about cri- right now is on the outside. The adorn every bit of it. So they what did they do? Well, <clears throat> they trusted this high priest, but just in case they sewed little bells around the bottom of his garment, and they tied a rope to his foot, because if he had messed up somewhere in his sacrifice for his sins and walked into the holiest of holies, God struck him dead if he wasn't worthy. And they they weren't about to push their way into that holiest of holies because they would be struck dead. They weren't allowed to go in there. And so what would they do? They just drag. You know? Can you imagine how the people felt as out? Out out of the gates, out of the opening, out of the door of the tabernacle, here come the priests. They're all, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden they see this rope and they're like, oh, no. Oh, no. And they're dragging this priest out because he was, you imagine how that was, because here's the problem with that. If that high priest was struck dead, he never got to place the blood on the mercy seat. And now their sins are not rolled forward. They're going to hold their sins within their life all year long and pray to the Lord they didn't die that year if they died that year they were without hope you see how important it is when we come into the presence of the Lord that we're ready for the that we come in you know sometimes we drag in don't we I drug in this morning I forgot to set my clocks last night but thank the Lord for the phone because the phone went off at the right time. No, no, they're talking. I'll I reset them, Jana and John. i reset them because they're like, oh, no, they were right. That's because i reset them for a left. <laughs> so I'm making my little breakfast while I'm getting ready, and I look at the clock, and it doesn't say 530. It says 430. And my first thought was, oh, man, I set the clock too early, and I got up an hour early, and I started to turn the stove off and go back to bed. And then it hit me, daylight savings time. Oh, I'm up at the right time. So I kind of drug in this morning because I felt a little tired. And sometimes we drag ourselves. And you know what? That's not wrong. It's not wrong. The important part is to get yourself in the presence of God. Now, we're in the presence of God at all times, correct? Correct. Everybody understand that? No matter where you're at, you're in the presence of God. But when we meet here, we're a priesthood. When we meet here. We are to meet here, regardless how we got here, for one purpose. And that's to perform the duties that God has for us in this holy place. In this holy place. That's what, I didn't know this was holy. Yes, it is. Holy means set apart. We don't have conventions here. We don't hold bazaars in this building. This is a holy place. That doesn't mean that, you know, I can't... Just understand that. Why is it holy? It's set apart because God said, this is when people are meeting together, and I'm going to meet with them. I'm going to meet with them. So let's keep going. So even though there were many that could operate within that tabernacle, it was the one man, one time a year, the blood sacrifice. A lot rested on two things, the spiritual attitude of the high priest, whether he was spiritually ready to meet the Lord, and the other thing was the veil. Those were the two important things that went into that tabernacle. The veil was always there, but the high priest meant a lot for all of the millions of people that were waiting on their sins to be pushed forward. A lot rested on his attitude. Did he get himself right? Because if he didn't get himself right, we're in trouble. And you understand, as, as priests of God, we've got to, our, our lives have to be right and correct because there are people out there that they're, they're hoping that some way. You know, I didn't just out and out when I was a sinner uh, before God. I'm a sinner after God. But when I was a sinner before God, I wasn't driving around hoping there was somebody that wanted to, you know, hope they are get ready for me. But you know what? The hope rested in that that there was somebody that had prepared themselves and and gone in and worshiped God and prayed. And you know, there's people that are driving, I, I can remember this, people, because we did it after we came into church. The very place where we had a very bad accident was the very road that we wound up coming into church on. And so here's the blessing of the Lord. God had, had us, Jan and I drive by there. Every time we went somewhere, we had to drive by that church. And there are people at that church were praying for the people driving on that road. And my hope was the the, the, was the fact that people were praying that God touched the people that are driving by. See, there's a lot of things we don't understand about priesthood. We, we, well, oh, praise the Lord, I'm, I'm now a royal priesthood. Do, or, do you, you really? You, you're going to claim it? Because what you are. You're going to claim it? There's something to do if you are. So if you don't want to be a royal priesthood, well, this veil... This barrier between God and man, it singled out the presence of God from everybody but one. The veil allowed only one man once a year. How many times have I said, anybody counting? Some of you do that. I'll watch you. You're counting. How many times Pastor Don said that? I'm saying it again. One man, one time a year, went to enter into the presence of God. The high, high priest wasn't in God's presence every day. one time a year now you know 52 sundays that's all you got to come 52 some of you make wednesdays thank you 52 sundays that's all you got to come but only on one sunday could you ever be in the presence of the lord you know what you know what you would be like me let's figure out what sunday he's going to be there and i'll go that sunday and the other 51 you're laughing because you like me. That's what we would do. Understand this: the atonement for there's because there was atonement in that day, just like Jesus was our atonement. There was atonement in the in the days of Moses, and all, but the atonement was very temporary. It only pushed sins forward until the perfect sacrifice came, and so that brings us today to our our. So I'm, let me get started now. On my message. Uh, yo, yo, I'm kidding. Yo. Jesus had been beaten, scourged, spat upon, mocked, whipped. He's now on a cross. He said the weight of the cross had been put upon him, and now he's hanging there, and now he's at his last breath in verse 50. And with that, he gives up. he gives up the spirit of life. If you back up, Jesus said something right before that in verse 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the first time in the existence that Jesus was in this earth, for the very first time, this holy God that was in him was never going to fellowship at this point. The fellowship was over. God was going to have to place a veil between himself and the man Christ Jesus. Why is that? Because the the Almighty God, the Spirit of God, does not fellowship with sin. And understand this. Had God remained in Jesus... He couldn't have died. He would never have been the sacrifice. And so, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? For the first time, Jesus understands the separation, the veil, the sin of all mankind. Now, of all the ages, there's 8.2 billion people now. So that's right now. So all of our sin, if we all had one sin today, and I can promise you I'm, I'm past that one, if we all had one sin today, and everybody in the world did that right now. That's 8.2 billion sins today. Imagine the ages of sin that were resting upon Jesus on the cross. The enormous, you ever felt guilty about doing something you shouldn't have done because it was sin? What if you had billions of that guilt on you? you, can, you can, can we fathom what was happening on the cross? I don't think so. I think we read it and we believe it, but we can't fathom it. It's so deep. So he gives up his last breath. He becomes this perfect sacrifice for sin. And as he does, as Jesus, the veil in the temple splits in half. Now understand what's going on here. The the priests, this is not the day of atonement for them. And the priests are outside and they're doing their daily duties knowing that if that curtain if anything happens, I can't go behind that curtain. I can't. And now this thing splits in half and it opens up right in front of them. That's immediate death. That's immediate death. But they didn't die, did they? They didn't. Why? Because another veil was being rent as well on the cross. Another veil was being rent on the cross. They didn't die because of Calvary. But here's the thing. The old covenant was now finished. The old nature of the veil was over. Everything had been fulfilled. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, of the things which we have spoken in this psalm, in other words, the writer here said, listen, of all the stuff we've talked about, isn't that easier to understand than the things we have We have such an high priest Set on the right hand. I'm going to stop here because the right hand in Scripture always denotes authority and power. It's not a physical thing. God is a spirit. There is no right, left, up, down, back, forward in God. He's a spirit and he's omnipresent. So he's, he's now this for the first time, there's a human from God that has this authority and power. Some of you are looking at me like that makes no sense. Jesus said, "If you'll remember back up, all power is given me in heaven and in earth." You remember that statement? So understand something: as a human, that he didn't possess that through his life; it was given to him. Understand that first, but understand this: now he's a human that sets on the authoritative power of God in the heavens. Tells us in Revelation. That when we see him, it will, it will be he, him, I, alone, that sits upon the throne. There's not, some of you are, from my background, from my, some of you know where I came from, some of you don't. In my background, this was the center, and this is where God sat. And this was the right side, and this is where Jesus sat. And this was the left side, and this is where the Holy Ghost sat. Three thro- well, first of all, if you look in Scripture, you don't find any three throne system, because there can only be one throne, only one throne, and there's only one Him that sat upon the throne. I saw Him that sat upon the throne, and who is the Him? Well, that's another message, and I won't get because I need to finish. But man, you need to you need to look and see who that Him was. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. The, real ta- the old tabernacle was not even God's true tabernacle. It was a substitute. The old sacrifice was not even the real sacrifice. It was a substitute. Jesus became that high priest on the cross. That veil was rent. And the true sacrifice, as the writer's writing here, which the Lord pitched, not a man. The Lord pitched this sacrifice on the cross. And here's what I love about verse 13. In that he saith a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish. In other words, here's what God has now been unveiled. Previous to the death of Jesus on the cross, God had never been unveiled. Only one man was even able to go behind the veil. One time. Now God is unveiled for the whole world to see. God's presence is now available to all of us, all nations, generations, not only did the generations after Jesus be able to come into the presence of God, but all those that were under that old tabernacle were able now to come in the presence of God. You know how we know that? Because when Jesus died, He just didn't hang out in the tomb. He went to the place of death called hell, Sheol. And he preached to all those people that had been waiting for centuries and centuries and centuries for that real sacrifice to come. And now Jesus stands in front of all those in Sheol and says, I'm here. I made it. It's interesting that when that happened, all of a sudden, here's what you find out next. That all these people that had been dead, some of them thousands of years, pop up in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now, I can get the Lazarus thing. Everybody knew him that was in that town. They knew that guy. Wow, what a miracle. I mean, that guy was dead four days. So, yeah, I could could go that. But somebody's walking by, and he's, man, dude, where'd you get those clothes? What do you mean those clothes? Because it's Moses walking by in clothes that are 2,000 years ago. You know, know, just 200 years ago in this country, you are not dressed like the people that dressed here 200 years ago. Can you imagine what was going on at this point? Because God has now unveiled himself. When God unveils himself to your life, guess what? There's not only going to be forward things in your life that he unveils. There's going to be some backward things in your life he unveils. You ever wondered why this happened? You ever wonder why why did this happen to me? And so you go on and you believe God, but in your mind you think, but I still don't get why that happened. God's going to unveil that to you. That's the purpose of Jesus on the cross. We know the essential is the forgiveness of sins, but it goes way, the, the, goes way beyond that. The veil goes way beyond just God separating himself from everybody else. 1 Peter 2 and 9. But ye are a chosen generation. That word generation doesn't mean your mom's generation, your, my generation. That word generation here in the Greek means a period of time, an era of time. Could be two thousand years, which it so happens so far. That's where it's at now. You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people. You should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. One time a year, one dude got to see the marvelous light of God. And now everybody gets to see the marvelous light of God. Because what? We're a royal priesthood. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that Jesus is forever after the priestly order of Aaron. Come on, Bible scholars. Shake your head no. If you even, even if you're not a Bible scholar. Shake your head no. okay, thank you. He's not after the order of Aaron. Why? Because he said that old covenant is gone. And in the Old Covenant, it was the order of Aaron, who was of the tribe of Levi, that performed sacrifice. What did he say? He said, You're, the Scripture says he's after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And that is a subject a lot of people don't even want to touch. Hebrews chapter 7, 14 through 17. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Jesus is our high priest, but he's not from Levi. He's from Judah. What is Judah? What what praise? Jesus sprang out of the lineage of praise. And so the writer of Hebrews says, Of which tribe Moses spoke nothing of concerning the priesthood. Judah had nothing to do with the priesthood, the writer says. And it is yet far more evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, that he ar- ariseth another priest. Jesus didn't even arise as a priest out of the order of Aaron. It was after that Melchizedek. The perfect sacrifice for our sins had nothing to do with the order of Aaron. The substitute. Jesus was not a substitute. He was the sacrifice. And it is far more yet evident that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest who is made not after the law of carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifies, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Why is that important? Thank you for asking because I'm going to finish with this. Melchizedek was the king of Salem in the Old Testament in the time of Abram who became Abraham. And Most of you know the story, but I've got the mic. So, God mentions this in Genesis chapter 14. So he blesses Abraham. Uh, Melchizedek, Abram goes and he takes over three king, five kings' uh, kingdoms. Let's just, he spoils them all. One guy spoils five kings, brings all of the stuff back the spoils, not the kings, the spoils. He brings all of that stuff back. And so Melchizedek, the Bible says, is a priest unto God. So Melchizedek is before Moses. Abram is before Moses. So before the the priestlyhood, priesthood, anything about priests even arose, the Bible says that Melchizedek was a priest unto God. And catch this, because Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, a priest unto God. The name Melchizedek means my king is God. My king is God. My king is not David. My king is not Solomon. My king is not Rehoboam or Jeroboam. My king is God. His priestly order is established as a forever priestly. The ironic order is gone. There's no such thing in God's plan as the order of Aaron for priesthood. It's gone. But there is a plan for priesthood in your life and mine. It's Melchizedek priesthood. So as Abraham returns, y'all think I'm going to talk about tithing, don't you? I can, see, I can see some of you already. Here you go. Put up the checkbook. He's asking for No. As he returns back, Abram sees Melchizedek, and he stops. And he says, all right, all of his, his service. y'all come out, pile everything up, put the best on the top, and give it... And here's a mistake we're making today in church. Pile it up on the top. Y'all think I want to ask y'all for the top before you ever get taxes out, right? And pile it up on the top and give him the best... Give him the best, which happened to be piled on the top. Give him a tithe, the best piled up on the top. And so what you need to notice about this is this. Abram didn't turn to his servants and say, listen, y'all pick out the best stuff you got and bring it over here to Melchizedek, and we're going to give him the tenth of the best. That's not what happened. He piled it every bit up right in front of Melchizedek. And quite often, we don't do that with God. We feel like when we give God our tithe, time, money, whatever it is, that we're supposed to bring and pile every bit of ourselves in front of God. But we're supposed to do that with the idea of putting the best on top and giving that best to him. That's why Jesus came after the order of Melchizedek. The best on top, the tithe to him. Let's keep going and I'll be finished. If y'all quit distracting me, I'll get there. All the spoils belong to God. Oh, he was a priest unto whom? He, was he Abraham's priest? No. He was a priest unto all the spoils belong to God. Why did Abraham give him the top best? He put the best of all, because some spoils just like had dirt all over it and nothing. But some of it, man, pretty nice there. He took the best, but all of it, 100%. But No, I'm not going to ask you for 100% of your paycheck. I, I, listen, it's fine up here because I can see your wheels clicking. Let's keep going. Here's the deal God receives a tithe from the victor, not for the victor's blessing. God doesn't need a blessing, right? So why would God receive a tithe from a victor? It was for the victor's blessing. All of it. He, he kept his 90%, right? Abram kept his 90%. He gave the top 10. But what, did, what happened right after that? Melchizedek blesses him Again. Again. And so that's why Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. You understand that as a royal priesthood, you are after the order of Melchizedek. And everything that you have, I like what Bishop says, you know what? Whatever I got his, it's his anyway. And if he wants to move it over there, it's his. He can move it over there. If he wants to move it over here, I'm way. Hey, it's his. That, that We're under that order, that order of Melchizedek, that we don't just give God ten... Because I know people that count hours. Some people, y'all count calories. Like, I'm, I'm, I need to do that. Some of you are counting hours. Some of you are counting money. Some of you are, are counting what, how much you give to people outside. It, it's human nature. But understand, that's the ironic order, which is dead. It doesn't exist. The order that exists is that we give it all to Him. And then He gives it back. Can I throw something at you? It's another lesson. <clears throat> a lot of times we as preachers stand in when we feel like we need an offering from you really bad. Malachi, will a man rob God of his tithe and offering? You ever heard that one? I've preached it. Will a man rob God? Of now, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Am I robbing God of tithe and offering? But when you study Malachi, here's something you find out. The first chapter, God is talking to his people. See, they're bringing doves that aren't quite sacrificial. They're a little off. They're bringing sheep that are a little spotted. They're bringing, so they're bringing things, they're bringing their sacrifice and worship to God that's spotted, and it's not really acceptable. And so God is trying to work with them. But then he turns and he starts talking to the priests. And he says, listen, it's bad enough that these people are bringing this bad sacrifice, but you're accepting it. You're the priest. You know better. You're accepting it. And so when you begin to look at Malachi, you see that he keeps talking to the priest. He keeps talking to the preacher. He keeps talking to the pastor. He's not talking to God's people. When he says, will a man rob God? Because here's what the priests were doing. Every so often, a good saint would bring something good in. And what would that priest do back then? He would take that good and put it in his pocket and take that ucky, because all he's doing is offering ucky sacrifice anyway, and get, offer it to God. And that's when God said, will a man, and he's not talking to you, he's talking to me. Will, will you as a priest rob God of his tithe? Boy, some of you are feeling relieved, aren't you? Because the purpose of tithe to the priest was different than the purpose of tithe of the saint. The purpose of tithe to the priesthood was different than the purpose of the tithe. Don't, don't think you're off the hook. You're a royal priesthood. Yeah, y'all thought you were off the hook, didn't you? Not only are we not to bring illegitimate sacrifice of praise and worship to God, we're not to even accept it. It's not acceptable. God turns his nose up. And as a priest, we are responsible. But who's the priest of their home? Yeah, thank you. Every man, come on, raise your hand. Don't, Don't be ashamed, sir. Raise your hand. Some of you are just ashamed. Because you're not being the priest of your home. Now, who's the royal priesthood in your home? Everybody lift your hand. All of us are the royal priesthood. But understand something, sir. As the leader of your home, there's a responsibility you have to not let those that are around offer improper sacrifices. Boy, this went downhill, didn't it? Y'all stand with me. It's not downhill. The Bible says we now come before the throne of God boldly to make our. That's why we come our needs, our sacrifice, our worship. All we can come straight. We don't have to peek. We don't. There's not a veil. That's. We can all come to the throne. So here's the deal. Here's what God is saying to us today. Don't. Give a portion of your joy. Give God the top part of your joy, but give Him all your joy. Some of the joy in our life we hold for other things, but if we're going to bring our sacrifice to God, joy. Bring your joy to Him, but give Him the top ten percent. Give Him the best of it. In other words, God doesn't mind if Steve and I are happy. He's gonna watch his cars now. Steve loves that Corvette, don't you? Not not in the sense of love, but it's a fun car. Let's put it that way. It's a fun car. You know, I love it too. You might ought to be careful, Steve. Now, we're talking love, as in we like how it looks and how it, but Steve is not at all in love with that car. He'd he could, if if God told him today to give it to you, he would. I can tell you, he would. That, that's how Steve operates. That, that's what God's looking for. I didn't mean to embarrass you, Steve. That's how God operates in the Melchizedekian era. You bring it all, and just whatever whatever that top good is, that's what God wants. You know why he wanted that top good? Anybody? Why did he want the top? Because God deserves the best. But here's the deal. God doesn't need the best. So what God does is he turns around and gives the best back to us. And that's why we're after order of Melchizedek. God wants us to understand something. That old way, now I'm not talking about the Old Testament. You all listen to me closely. This, I'm not talking old way, Old Testament. That old way is dead. Some of us came from an old way that's dead. Some of us were taught, well, I'm not going to do it because it embarrasses my family. Some of us were taught this, this is what worship and dancing before the Lord and that kind of stuff is. I was going to do it and break out in one, but Bishop called him a dancing fit and he was being nice. Because we were taught certain things about worship and sacrifice that were totally off base. True worship doesn't come from without. It comes from within. And when true. Listen, when true worship comes from within, guess what happens? Guess what happens? If you really have the flu, I can see it. Now the flu is a virus by my naked eye I can't see. So how do I see the flu? I see the symptoms. What are the symptoms of the flu? Somebody quick. A fever? Runny nose? Hot, tired, it's all over your eyes, it's all over your face. You look like you're about to fall down. Those are all symptoms of something inside of you, right? That's one of the problems that we have in our society, in our church today. We're constantly trying to wipe people's noses. We're constantly trying to wipe our own nose and get rid of the virus. You're never going to get rid of the virus that way because the virus is not outside. It's inside. It's the same thing with the Melchizedekian order. The praise is not outside. I know a lot of people that did all that stuff. You know what? You see them the next day, you think, my Lord. Is that so-and-so or you've got an evil twin? Because it wasn't inside praise. It was outside praise. The beauty of inside praise is it's going to naturally show itself. The greater beauty is when you give the top 10% of that to God, you know what he does. He just gives it back. He just gives it back. He just gives it back. We we know that God has been really been talking to our church the direction He's trying to go here. He's gonna go. He's trying to get us involved. God's God's gonna go this direction. He's trying to get us involved because if we don't get involved, somebody down there will Somebody will. They don't. Somebody else will. He said, well, if they don't, I'll just call on the rocks because they will. Man, isn't that embarrassing that if I don't get involved, God has to call on a rock for me? Doesn't have a voice. Doesn't have a soul. Didn't have, but the rocks will cry out. They'll, they'll do it. What are we saying today? There's an old order that's gone. There's a new order that's been established. Our sacrifice in the old order came back, came from the old order. What we have to recognize is the sacrifice that we give today, any, I had a list of anything we give to God, we give Him holy, 100%, and we're just giving the best out of it. You ever, you ever seen somebody, they call it a laughing fit? You ever? Not in church, don't, you know, I've seen that before, but you ever seen somebody, somebody ever told you a joke that was so you couldn't stop laughing? And I've heard some jokes before. Not only could I not stop laughing, but after I did and I got in my truck and left, I started laughing again. When I thought about it. You understand that's how God wants your joy to be? You're so joyous for the Lord. And so, you ever laugh because God did something? See, some of us have never done this. You ever just out and out laugh because God did something for you that was like, that's just Unbelievable. And you just laugh about it you laugh about it. Then when you start thinking about it later, you start laughing again. See, most of the church world hasn't because we're still living after the order of Aaron. We don't understand what that is, the true joy of the Lord. And what God. the next move that God's taken our church to is to understand the order that we're living in, that we're living in the order of Melchizedek. We give him our all. I'm not calling you all this week and asking you to come cut the grass or come do this. I'm not doing, doing we're giving him our all. And the best of all that we're giving him is the top part of our all. Because he still wants to laugh. He wants you to laugh at home with your family. He wants to be joy. You can't, you don't just, some of us the opposite. We laugh at home. We never laugh here. Some of y'all have never seen laugh. And it, I, maybe it's because I tell stupid jokes or something. Huh? You don't even laugh at that. But you know what? There ought to be a laugh and a joy and a laughter for God. If anything, why don't you just laugh in the devil's face? Just laugh in his face. After all, the prophet did it. It's not anti-biblical to laugh in the devil's face because the prophet did it. Matter of fact, he went a little further. He started making fun of the devil. I thought that was the, the Baal. Exactly. Who do you think the devil is? The term Beelzebub, research where that came from. It's your job and my job to not only taunt the devil. Oh, I'm not doing that because he'll come after me. I'm afraid if I taunt him, he's going to come after me. I got news for you. He's already coming after you. You know what it means to taunt? You ever seen somebody catch a football in an end zone and get a 15-yard penalty because they taunted the defensive guy? What's he telling the defensive God? I just embarrassed you in front of all these people. And I showed that I'm better than you. That I'm faster than you. My hands are better than yours. In other words, what we need to tell the devil is, listen. I'm better than you. I'm faster than you. Tell the devil where he belongs. That's the order of Melchizedek. Understand who you are. You are priests of God, your priests of God. God has set into motion something here in Tabernacle of Praise, that when we get a hold of it, when we get a hold of it, we're going to see the most awesome things we've ever seen. We're going to experience some of the most awesome experiences we've ever experienced. Acts chapter 2 and 4 and 8 and 10 and 19 and 28. Those were just the beginning. We're going to, what God is saying now, in I'm just going to open these altars. If you want to come, Pastor, I don't even know what you're asking for here. If you're ready to give His, your 100%, 100%, what does that mean? You can't give any more than you. You you can't give your children, you can't give your parents, you can't. So all you're telling God this morning at this altar, God, I'm here to give you me. I'm here to give you me, hundred percent. Matter of fact, not only that, God, but I'm going to give you the top ten percent of me. What does that mean? That means, God, that that sacrifice to you, I'm going to allow you to have and take, because you're going to use it and you're going to give it back. You're going to use it, and you're going to give it back. And you're going to use it, and you're going to give it back. I don't even know if I said this the way God wanted me to. to be honest with you. I know what's in my heart right now. That God is saying the overflow, the, the power of spirit is upon us. We're not waiting on it any longer. It's not something that's going to happen. It is upon us. It's here now. And he's ready to do miracles, not through Pastor Don. Here's the thing about the high priest. I'm not the high priest, but understand this. As we look back in the Ionic Order, the important thing to understand is that the reason the high priest offered sacrifice, he had already offered sacrifice for himself. But now the sacrifice was for everybody else's blessing. And so here's the thing. God is ready to pour that out. Pour that out. Pour that out. And for you to be used healing, gifts of the Spirit, not in here, out there. He's ready to pour it out. Jesus, Lord, if I didn't put this out like you wanted me to, I know, God, that the hearts of your people are always receptive to your Spirit. And so, in whatever word that might be, Lord, in their hearts today, in each heart, Lord, drop right now that word into their heart that we are after the order of Melchizedek. We understand today, God, that we bring our best here at this altar to you. We bring our best. We bring it all. We're just telling you today that we're putting the best on top. Many of these folks, God, have always brought their selves their whole selves they've always given their whole self but what we're saying here today God is that we're putting our best now on the top that's what we want you to have after all we're your priests we're not priests to anybody else we're the priests of God and we're priests to you and so this this is your people Lord this is not my church this is not my people this is your people I'm part of it So, God, right now in the Holy Ghost, minister to every person here. We are all coming from different walks of life and different fashions and facets and issues and circumstances, but none of that matters. The kings, the five kings, have been destroyed. And so we just bring that back to you now in our lives. In Jesus' name.